Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of the Blue Gold Report, brought to you by Dio McComb and Son Femur Homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm Todd Burlidge. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, and I will be your co-host today. Mason Plummer joining me from Ball State University. You can find Mason at Mason Plummer. Is it Mason Plummer 6, numeral Mason? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Mason, I should know that by now for sure. You can find me at Todd Burlidge. A lot to hit on today, uh, especially with the departure of Phil Yurkovic, uh, that's uh, that's hit a sore spot with me because I really liked Phil. I thought that he deserved a little bit of a better chance, so Mason and I will banner about that. And we're going to talk a little about some comments that Brian Kelly made at the Camping World Bowl. I'm going to pick Mason's brain on this as well. Brian Kelly said, okay, a couple years ago he said he was satisfied with the top 15 recruiting class. Now he's saying it's time to get into that upper echelon, that top five group. I'm going to ask Mason how Brian Kelly needs to go about doing that. And we did the all-decade offensive team last year. We're going to or last week. We're going to do the all-decade defensive team this week. Take a quick fly by hoops and hockey. But like we start every show, let's get to some blue gold nuggets. We're going to alternate these this week. Let's start with me. Camping World Bowl and all bowl games. The NCAA allows $550 in gifts for every player. No more. That would be a violation. So the gifts for Notre Dame this year for the Camping World Bowl again included a $400 Best Buy gift card, a Camping World Bowl watch, a Herschel Supply Company backpack, which I looked up online. That is really nice. And that came with a luggage tag. So not a bad haul for the guys. $550 worth of worth of gear and uh, something to get yourself at Best Buy. Not too shabby. What you got, Mason? Yeah, so uh, the big news this week, other than Yurkovic transferring, is a possible coaching replacement at cornerbacks coach and offensive coordinator. Obviously, the the news of Chip Long leaving the program as well as uh, Todd Light. So then you're down to uh, getting some new guys to fill the spot. So number one option, it seems pretty obvious that uh, Joe Moorhead, the former Mississippi State head coach, he was let go recently. Uh, He's actually interviewing at Oregon today for their offensive coordinator spot. Uh, it seems to be between Oregon and Notre Dame. Wouldn't be surprised if he took the Oregon job, but if you don't hear anything about him taking that today or tomorrow, then it seems like it's a lock for Notre Dame. Other options are Todd Monken, the uh, Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator. And then the third option, a guy a lot of people like, Tommy Rees, to take the offensive coordinator position, move up from quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator. And then at your quarterback's coaches, you have Christian Parker of the Packers, Durante Jones from the Bengals, Mike Nickens from uh, Cincinnati University. So those are uh, those are some high-level guys as well, but you won't hear nearly as much about that uh, until the offensive coordinator position is sorted out. It seems like that seems to be the priority, Todd. Yeah, for sure, Mason. And I, I think one way or another, Tom Reese, you know, you see more and more of these schools, they have like a running game coordinator or a passing game coordinator. I think one way or another, Tommy Reese is going to get some sort of title, whether or not it's full-blown offensive coordinator, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, uh, certainly thank you for that list. As a matter of fact, I was asked to do a story on that, so there you did a little homework for me, Mason. I appreciate it. All of the all-star games, all the postseason all-star games are starting to pop up here. Uh, The big ones, obviously, are the East-West Shrine game. That's going to be January 18th in St. Petersburg. One Notre Dame player in that one, Chris Fink. He will be participating there. 
The Senior Bowl is obviously the premier all-star event here for these guys, and Notre Dame has five participants in this one. That will be uh, that game will be the 25th in Mobile, Alabama. Obviously, the practices are as important as the actual game when it comes to kind of trying to up your NFL stock. The participants for Notre Dame, Troy Pride Jr., cornerback, Jalen Elliott, safety, Alohi Gilman, safety, Khalid Kareem, defensive end, and Chase Claypool, wide receiver, Obviously, Julian Acquire would have been there, uh, but he's still recovering for his injury, so he's unable to participate. One other bowl with a Notre Dame participant, it's the NFLPA, the NFL Players Association Collegiate Bowl. Uh, that is on the 18th. That is in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, defensive end Jameer Jones will be participating in that. So those are your that's your all-star lineup, Mason. You got, any, got another one for me? I do, yeah. Just quickly going over the performances you saw in the All-American game this past week. A lot of Notre Dame guys. Quarterback Drew Pine, running back Chris Tyree. There's a, a mixture of the 2020 and 2021 guys. Offensive tackle Tosh Baker, offensive tackle Michael Carmody, tight end Michael Mayer actually scored a long touchdown. Receiver Jordan Johnson saw a lot of looks down the stretch and then a not-so-exciting one. Alex Peach, nation's number one long snapper, but, you know, he did his job. and That's all you can ask from a long snapper, so... Um, guys I was really impressed with was Drew Pine. Um, he's not the biggest guy by any means. He's not, he doesn't look like the Clemson quarterback DJ. He's, uh, he's not nearly that big. He doesn't have that arm strength, but he's a game manager. And you know, that seems to be a derogatory term these days, but it's not, <laughs> right. he, uh, he controlled the offense. He got the ball where it needed to go on time. And that's really what you want to see in Notre Dame quarterbacks. He seems to be, uh, Kind of an Ian Book 2.0, possibly. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to ask. Actually, you beat me to the punch there. I was going to say, when I watch him play, he does remind me a little bit of an Ian Book for sure. All right, let me better move along here. Those are your blue gold nuggets. Thank you very much, Mason. And uh, let's let's jump right into Phil Jerkovic here. Um, boy, I, I guess I wasn't surprised. You kind of saw it coming when, when uh, Ian Book said he was coming back for his fifth year to be the third-year starter here. You know, these guys don't wait around. And frankly, you can't really blame them for not waiting around. I think that... Book was probably the number one factor, but really, when you look at it, unless he can get a waiver, he's going to be in the same boat. He'll have to if if he does transfer. When he does transfer, he's going to have to sit out a year anyways, so it have the two years of eligibility. So one way or another, he's going to be in the same boat. It would appear. So I couldn't help but wondering if maybe just the stagnation a little bit in his development. Certainly, really never got a chance to play, and I'm going to break that down a little bit more. And now the uncertainty at offensive coordinator Mason. What, are there any other factors that you think uh, went into his decision to transfer out of here, or is it pretty much uh, straightforward to you? I think it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think Jerkovic really saw this past summer as a chance to compete with Ian Book, and he didn't win the job. Um, he sees Ian Book coming back, and as, as far as we can tell from all the practice reports and what we saw at practice. Ian looked like the, looked like the much better quarterback. The staff really likes what they have, and Brendan Clark they really like what they have in Drew Pine, the freshman coming in. Right. Um, Brendan Clark won practice squad player of the year. That tells you something compared or when you're talking about the guys that were on the practice squad, the likes of Kevin Austin. So when you have a guy like Brendan Clark showing out on the on the practice squad, making the first team defense not look so hot, you know that's a guy that's going to raise some eyebrows. And I think the staff really likes what they have in him. He's a a diamond in the rough, a guy that has a chip on his shoulder and has lots to prove. And then looking even towards uh, the 2021 season, it seems like all signs are pointing towards that the staff wants to give Tyler Buckner the reins. And if Jerkovic had to sit through this season just to have to move on the, again, he'd rather you know be comfortable in another offense and start to learn an offense. He has to sit anyways rather than 
wasting another year at Notre Dame, I guess. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's a difficult situation for Yurkovic. Uh, you know, we wish the best for him, and I thought he had a lot of potential, but a lot of the dominoes seem to fall in the wrong direction for him. Yeah, it's too bad. It really is because he was the highest rated recruit, um, quarterback wise, that Brian Kelly has ever brought in here. I mean, this is a guy. My word, he lit it up in high school, and, and in only thirty four games, he threw for. Uh, threw for 8,200 yards, ran for 2,900 yards. I did the math on that. He Between air and groundwork, uh, he accumulated six and a half miles worth of offense while he was there in high school, again, in only 34 games, and had 114 touchdowns. And he started as a sophomore, and that is a very high. That, that's highly competitive football there. This isn't just backyard, uh, small-town high school football here. This is a big deal. And Brian Kelly, when they brought him in, when Yurkovic got here, he really raved about him. And I cut out a clip here. The first part of it is actually on signing day, talking about just how great this guy could be. And then how Brian Kelly was really fascinated with him and couldn't wait to go see him play a game in high school. I think he's the best quarterback in the country. You know, he's he's somebody that, you know, you, you I could put up against any quarterback that I've I've ever seen. Uh, he was a young sophomore uh, that was out there leading his football team against really good competition. That was something that we needed to go see. Presence, leadership ability, how he interacts with his teammates when he comes back on the sideline. So to see that as a sophomore, um, it, it was important for us in this recruiting process of uh, making decisions on quarterbacks. I needed to know more about his makeup and, and that gave us the first glimpse of who he was and what his makeup was. Well, you can hear it there, boy. The, the, the tide has certainly changed from where Brian Kelly was on signing day to where now he is today. I guess part of my frustration, Mason, was that Notre Dame ranked fifth this season in winning margin, 18 points a game. They won seven games by 21 or more points, five games by 31 or more points, and two games by 52 points. Yet, Yurkovic only played in six games and threw 16 passes. To take that one step further, Notre Dame's last five games this season, they won by an average of 28 points per. Yet, Yurkovic only threw three passes in those five games. He hardly even played. And I, I think that had to be part of his frustration. Frankly, it was part of my frustration, because I'm going to pop in another clip where Brian Kelly talks about he never really thought, well, here's the clip. Listen to Brian Kelly, and we'll, we'll follow it up afterwards. If, if I felt like playing Phil for five plays, four plays, would make us a better football team, I would do it in a second. I'm only interested in how I can help our football team win. This is not about an ego or we got to play one guy or two guys. I want to just win football games by playing the best players that will help us win. And if I thought for a second that Phil Jakovic would be on the field to help us winning in some fashion, he would be on the field. And that's as honest as I can be with you. Mason, you hear him say there, you know, he just didn't think Phil gave them, PJ gave them a chance to win. And then he goes on to say a little bit later in that same interview that, you know, he, he just he's great in practice, but he just doesn't have game experience. Mason, how the heck do you get game experience if the coach doesn't put you in, especially in a bunch of blowouts? Right, you can't. And it, there was, it, that was a weird situation with Jerkovic. There's no reason that he doesn't get in for more time. But I was at the Bowling Green Notre Dame game when he was finally getting time, and I was excited to see him play in person. 
But then it was widely reported and everybody knew about it. And he got crap about it from Brian Kelly and for Brian Kelly to say it in the media that it must have been a big deal that, that Yurkovic was looking at the wrong signal caller on the sideline. You have all this time preparing and practice for like a game moment and then you, you do something like that. And I get it, you know, that the college game is different and he doesn't have a lot of time. Sure. He, had, he has had a lot of time playing in the Notre Dame offense and getting comfortable and really establishing himself. But that's something, that's not something you can do. But yeah, there's no there's no denying that when Notre Dame's up by 35, 40 points that Yurkovic should be running the offense and getting to throw the ball a little bit. The thing I appreciate about Yurkovic is the work he put in even leading up to his time here. You know, he committed as a sophomore in May of 16. He was a member of the 2018 recruiting class. So he recruited before that miserable 4-8 and eight season and was really instrumental in keeping that 2018 recruiting class together, and I admired him for that. It is interesting to me, Mason, Jerkovic came out of the same class that brought us Trevor Lawrence um, and Justin Fields, a couple of quarterbacks that were uh, actually one still alive, obviously, Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, and Fields was a Georgia transfer playing for Ohio State. So now when you look at it, while Trevor Lawrence will be preparing for the 2021 draft, Yurkovich will likely be in spring ball preparing for his first college start. All right, let's move on. I wanted to get to you on this because this really struck me and something that I want to get your expertise on. Okay, let's back up to 2017. Brian Kelly basically said, and it ticked a lot of fans off, that he doesn't see any way that Notre Dame can become better than maybe a top 10 recruiting class. He said, we're going to hover around that 15 mark because of everything we're up against when it comes to recruiting, obviously probably making reference more than anything to the academics and, and those types of things, really ticked some people off. He really he didn't address it again until right before the Camping World Bowl. And here's a little bit of what he had to say. He, it was just a couple days before the bowl. He said it's time to break out of that 15th ranked uh, and, and get to the upper echelon, top five classes every year. And he goes on to say, there are some things that we can do, some things that we can implement to make that happen, and we're going to start implementing those. Mason, first of all, I would think any coach at this elite level would always be looking for a top-five class, but I think more importantly than I'm curious about, when he talks about stuff that he can implement to go from 15 to 5, what the heck is he talking about? Uh, you know, that's got to be every coach's goal is a top-five class, and it seems like three of the spots are going to be taken for as long as their head coaches are there in Clemson, Ohio State, and Bama. <laughs> right. you know, they're going to go with one, two, three, three, two, one, however they want to go in some sort of order. They're, they're in the top three. So the top, their next two spots, four and five, are going to be fought over, and they're likely going to be SEC teams. And there's no denying that Notre Dame has some, some barriers that other schools don't when it comes to academically, playing up north in the cold, stuff like that. But – if you really in if you really want to succeed as a Notre Dame head coach and get involved in recruiting, then you have to you have to get past that. And you you can't let the guys know. Or I mean, you know they know about it, but you can't make it such a bad thing. You got to shed some light on it, make it a positive thing. And um, you saw that Brian Kelly took some heat from uh, the Ohio State commit Lathan Ransom, and uh, as well as Jalen McMillan, the Washington wide receiver. They're both saying that Notre Dame could have really been a possibility for them and they maybe would have committed if brian kelly is more involved okay so i think that's something that that brian kelly needs to do better if he if he wants a top five class he himself needs to get involved and he does i know he he works a ton of hours and you know he does so much for the university especially for the football team and everything but if you want to take that next step forward 
you know, put some player development down on your other onto your assistant coaches. Don't worry so much about the guys that you have at the moment in the offseason, but go worry about getting guys in the next recruiting class. And uh, you know, every recruit's different. They like they like different things. Some guys like a, a more relaxed head coach that's not gonna badger them, but other guys need the attention. So it, the only way you know what a guy needs is by going and contacting him and getting to know him. So that's something Brian Kelly can improve on. And it seems like that's what the guys want these days. So yeah, for sure. And I think that would that's something you can do fix real easily. And perhaps he did recognize that. And I think you make a good point there and a good argument on that's one way that you can really jump recruiting in a big hurry. Mason, I did the all decade being the 2019s, however you want to call them. The 2000 teens are done now. I did the all-decade offensive team last week. I want to run down here what I came up with for the all-decade defensive team. Feel free to jump in here if you disagree with any of these. Let's start with the defensive line. A little bit tough because quite a few good players on here, but I settled on this four-pack of players. Sheldon Day, uh, 2012 through 2015, he played here. He had 32 tackles for loss, which was the most by uh, a, a lineman, a Notre Dame lineman for the decade. Stefan Tuitt, an easy choice, 2011 through 13. He played here, left one year early after his junior year. He was a second-team All-American and is creating all kinds of havoc with the Pittsburgh Steelers now. Uh, Jerry Tillery, a little bit more recently, 2015 through 18. Uh, he was a first-round pick, having a good start to uh, his NFL career. And then Lewis Nix, he was just impossible to move on the interior there. He was here from 2010 to 13. I guess some honorable mentions, some guys in Mason that would be in that conversation. And tell me if you think any of these guys could have leapfrogged anybody. A couple of real recent guys, Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem. I think Isaac Rochelle deserves some consideration too. Anything on there uh, you would disagree with? I would have definitely thrown Aquara in there if he could have somehow repeated what he did last season or improved his staff numbers, but he didn't. Um, Kareem is worth a shout, but I like the four guys you have at the moment. Um, I think Rochelle slides in behind them. I thought the linebackers were easy, and what a star-studded cast. You obviously have to start with Manti Teo. He was here from 10 through 12, 2010 through 12. Um, 437 total tackles, which is third all-time at Notre Dame. He had seven interceptions during that magical 2012 season. He was the Heisman runner-up for a linebacker. That's pretty impressive stuff. And a Butkus Award winner, so you can't argue with that. Jalen Smith, another Butkus Award winner. As a matter of fact, Notre Dame and Alabama are the only two teams in the decade that had two Butkus Award winners at linebacker. Jalen was wonderful. Probably could have been even better than what he was, to be honest with you. But it was, you know, they were going through all that Brian Van Gorder stuff. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change of schemes, and yet Jalen Smith still thrived. He was a wonderful leader, a wonderful player. And will be forever missed. And then Drew Tranquil rounds out my three-pack of linebackers. Another Fort Wayne guy, so a couple Fort Wayne guys on there. He was here from 14 to 18, had 171 total tackles, an academic All-American, and really just a wonderful leader. I think that would jump out at me more than anything. And just an all-around good guy. Drew Tranquil was so much fun to cover. Probably Jalen Smith and Drew Tranquil might be two of my favorite players that I have covered since I've been doing this, and I've been doing it for a while. I thought Tavon Coney perhaps deserved a shout-out, but I, I think that's a pretty easy three-pack. Mason, did I leave anybody out? Yeah, I was going to say Coney. Um, the other name that popped out to me was maybe Niles Morgan, but I don't think he compares with any of the three of them. But, yeah, as we were saying about Jalen Smith with Van Gorder, keeps you up at night wondering how good Jalen Smith could have been. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. At cornerback, again, I thought this was there was really not a lot to choose from, to be honest with you. 
Uh, well, I don't know. I, I guess Robert Blanton and Troy Pride you could throw in here. But I like Kavari Russell. He's an NFL player now, an NFL draft pick. He was here from 12. He was here from 2012 and 13, then missed 14 and came back in 15. And I think Julian Love, with all the pass breakups, he owns every record when it comes to uh, breaking up passes uh, that it was ever set here at Notre Dame. He was here from 16 to 18, obviously. Uh, he's playing for the Giants now. Really had a good second half of the season uh, in the NFL. Uh, any anything there? Do you like Russell and Love? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, Notre Dame hasn't had the best corners, but you know those are the two of the, the best ones we've had. Um, hopefully, the cornerback recruiting continues to improve, and we'll get some real studs in the next decade. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you're right. It was not a little bit of slim pickings actually on the entire defensive back. Now I think the front line players are, are great. As a matter of fact, let's jump to right. safety right here. Harrison Smith, a wonderful player, 2010 and 11. Uh, when Brian Kelly came in, Brian Kelly said, you are not a linebacker, you're a safety, and if you can't play safety, you can't play for me. And boy, did that work out. He had 181 total tackles from that safety position in the two years playing under Brian Kelly. I think he's the highest paid safety in the NFL now, playing for the Minnesota Vikings, a perennial all-pro and uh, pro bowl pick there. And I, this one was a little tough because I thought Zeke Mata was a nice player back in the day, but I still think Olohi Gilman, he was here 18 and 19, two seasons I just liked his leadership. He helped this team go 22-3 and over those two seasons. And Pro Football Focus last year rated him as the number one safety in all of college football. So I went with Harrison Smith and Alohi Gilman. That's pretty solid, though, when you put it all together and look at it. Is there any other safety that I just overlooked? No, unfortunately, Kyle Hamilton doesn't fit in this decade, but he'll definitely be in the next one. Um, yeah, Gilman, as far as uh, he, he did so much on the field and just his, the two years he was here, but as also just his his mentality and his attitude, he has such charisma. We you know we both got to interview him multiple times, and just when you speak to him, you really believe in him, and can't imagine how it feels to play on defense with him. You know, he's just uh, just a true leader, and that's going to translate to the next level, no doubt about it. Yeah, you're so right, Mason. He was so much fun to talk to, and and you know, a very cerebral guy. You know, you'd ask him something, he could really delve into it. In a very intellectual way, I, I, I'm so with you on that. A great guy to talk to. Went ahead and threw the special teams guys in here. I think these were easy choices as well. Uh, Justin Yoon, your place kicker, 15 through 18. He left here with a .805 field goal percentage, which is number one all time. 59 career field goals, number one all time. And 367 points scored, number one all time. So you can't really leave him off the list for sure. And punter Tyler Newsom, he was here the same time as you in 15 through 18. What a one-two punch there for kickers. Uh, Newsom was a team captain. He was so good and such a great leader. Four-year starter, averaged 44 yards per kick, which is number two all time behind Craig Hentrick from way back in the day, who averaged 44.1, so a close race there. Thought the kicking guys were pretty easy there. That was pretty fun to do, Mason. There's some other things maybe you can you and I can talk about off air to do, you know, maybe the best games of the decade or something like that. Uh do a little research on those. We better move on here. We've got a couple more minutes left. Uh let's let's do some hoops here and a little bit of hockey. Not a whole lot to talk about on either front, to be honest with you. The men they lost Wednesday, NC State in familiar fashion. 73-68, it really looked like they had this one. They really needed this one because it would have been two straight road wins and put them to 2-2 two and two in the ACC instead of 1-3 and three as they are now. It was a real shame that they blew that lead. Again, up 51-39. Next thing you know, NC State goes on a 21-9 run to tie the game and then outscores the Irish down the stretch 13-8. Notre Dame couldn't get in. They just couldn't rebound. 
John Mooney was in foul trouble basically the whole game, so he couldn't play as aggressively as he needed to. Um, Notre Dame now, they will play Louisville at home, 2 p.m. Cardinals are ranked number 13. If you wanted to pick a series, an entertaining series when it comes to Notre Dame basketball, Louisville would be the one to pick. Nine of the last 22 games between these two teams, that dates back to 1994, nine of 22 games have gone to overtime. Three of those went double overtime. And, of course, of course, in 2013, the 104-101 game went five overtime. So this has been a very competitive series. Uh, Louisville leads the series all-time 25-14. It's won four straight games. Notre Dame has won four or five at Purcell Pavilion. So we'll see how that all goes. Notre Dame needs to win, man. They can't go to one and four. If they go to one and four, Mason, they are going to be in uh-oh territory. Yeah, I think so. And the ACC is not going to get any easier. It's not necessarily the best year for ACC basketball, but it's the – the conference as a whole is never a slouch. So, uh, yeah, you you got to get on a roll here soon. Unfortunately, not a lot of healthy bodies left, right. especially with Rex Luger going down with you know, another knee injury. So hopefully he returns quickly. But, yeah, you just got to hope for the best at this point. Yeah, basically six rotation players. Not basically, it is six rotation players if Fluger can't play. And I, we haven't heard any news yet on that. Uh, but he did set a, sit out against NC State. And you're right. It seems like a good year for a team like Notre Dame to make a move in a mediocre ACC. I don't know that the middle pack is any better or worse than it has been in recent years. You just don't have that dominant team, that Virginia. I suppose you can make a case for Duke. But beyond that, it really is a one-team league. The women continue to struggle along here as well. 6-10 and ten overall, lost two in a row. They will be home against North Carolina State Sunday at 4 p.m., uh, just kind of a building season for Muffet and her girls. I'm not expecting even an NCAA tournament bid, which is really hard to believe we're saying that. And the men's hockey, they returned to Big Ten action. They're 10 wins, 7 losses, 3 ties overall. They were 1 win, 0 losses, and 1 tie against West Michigan this week during the break. So they'll get back to Big Ten action here, home against Michigan this weekend. Obviously, always a big rivalry. Mason, what you got cooking this weekend? Not a lot, really. Um, catching up on everything sports. Got a couple articles to write. Um, celebrate my birthday, actually. My birthday was this past Tuesday, so hanging out with some friends this weekend I haven't seen. But, uh, yeah, a couple articles to finish up before then. So Sounds good. Some NFL playoffs as well to dive into. It should be a good weekend for everybody. Mason, I appreciate it, man. We'll do it all again next week. All right, let's do it. Thanks for having me. All right, no problem. And once again, the Blue Gold Report is brought to you by Deal McComb & Sons Funeral Homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Y'all have a good weekend, and we'll chat again next week. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.